0: Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on That's Wipfandstock.com. That's wipf stock.com as well as Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Father, hear our prayers. Uh, you're such a good God. You give us so many good gifts uh, that we are... Totally unworthy of Father, and uh, in some ways, all the time, we're, we're not uh, even wise enough to steward them well. And so, as we talk about marriage and specifically sex tonight, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, from the Word and give us better wisdom to be good stewards of this gift of sexuality? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so what we've been doing, I, I tell a couple of stories anonymously at the beginning. Uh, to kind of set the stage and then we try to go to the word and see how it can be solved so i you know i had a lot to pick from this time but i'll just i'll just share two i have uh one friend of mine he's a very good friend and we kind of do some accountability and stuff like that together Uh, and so he has told me numerous times over months maybe even longer he's like you know if it was just up to me if i got my way all the time i'd like to have sex three times a week that would be kind of my normal pace He's like, my wife is very different. She would probably only prefer to have sex maybe twice a month. He's like, and therein lies the difference. He's like, and I love my wife. She has a lot of great qualities, but she's fairly stubborn. Uh, every once in a while, she kind of compromises, but not often. And he said, and I feel like I'm, I'm going crazy. He's like, I don't look at porn or do anything like that. Uh, he said, but I feel like a lot of times I want to pull my hair out. And, oh, by the way, he said, it makes it harder for me to feel Any type of love and affection from a wife, because this is kind of the main way that I feel love and affection from her, when this is shut down, I feel mad and bitter, you can see the problem. Another story, uh, a couple that my wife and I did some pre-marriage counseling for, maybe just a couple of years ago, Um, the gal was a little bit older when they got married, the girl was younger, Um, they got married, and within days, it felt like, maybe it was weeks, I'm not sure, uh, he really went into like a full-blown clinical depression which all sorts of problems, all sorts of negative emotions and feelings, not even wanting to get out of bed in the morning to go to work, all that kind of stuff. But obviously, he said, man, I I don't feel anything positive for anybody, but including my brand new blushing bride to be, so to I mean, bride not to be, that is my bride now, I I don't feel any affection for her, I don't feel any love, I don't feel any warmth, and I I don't even have any sexual desire. He's like, I used to have a lot. Uh, before I was married and now I feel none and she is young and married and excited and kind of had the like I thought you know from everything I've seen on the TV we're supposed to be you know ripping each other's clothes off having sex every day and he's totally uninterested which for her starts to make her feel like and and she's she's a very smart very rational woman and yet she says when you have no desire for me uh, it makes me feel like you don't love me you're not interested Leads to all kinds of do you find me pretty body image type issues. It, it was hard. And he would say, you know, at times I try to make myself get there, but it, you know, it's just a hard thing. So, um, in light of that, m- most marriages at some point are going to go through a season like that. It may not be that extreme, but um, th- there can be so many differences about timing, pace, frequency, all that stuff. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Praise the Lord, the Bible speaks to uh, the most intimate, the most important, sometimes the most frustrating parts of our life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this is speaking about more than just sex, but it's certainly not speaking about less than sex, right? They became, uh, two people became one physically, they're naked, they're unashamed. This is sex in the garden, and it's ideal, all right? Now, um, John Stott, great pastor, teacher of the last century, said God intends for sex to symbolize and express a union of personalities. Another commentator, author, said that really sex is supposed to be this unique mode of self-disclosure and self-commitment. Now, we're going to look at the book of Song of Solomon, so uh, flip over to Song of Solomon, Kind of in the middle, right after Psalms, a couple more books, uh, Song of Solomon. We're not going to do the whole thing. We're going to start in chapter 12. and we're going to talk about intimacy tonight. Now when I when I use the word intimacy, here's what I mean. everybody when they when they're healthy. all right So when, when you're at your best when you're healthy, and I don't just mean physically, but I mean emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, when you're healthy, you want to be known, seen, understood, valued, pursued, Desired and in every way, but certainly tonight we're talking about physically, uh, sexually. All right. So sex is about supposed to be about giving your whole self to the other person. So the first point tonight, just intimacy idealized. Uh, if you read the first part of the book, it's more kind of their courtship, dating, attraction type thing. And let me say, there, there's a great uh, commentary. That i've read on this and i can recommend it a uh, guy's last name is Gledhill, hill but he said this is probably a collection of love poetry so it's not necessarily just one literal story it was more they were using solomon and one of solomon's wives as kind of the idealized every man and every woman and it's a collection of love poetry okay and it's not as much a moral teaching it's more of a celebration of the gift of sex. John Piper uh, says it's a celebration of nudity within marriage, which is pretty interesting uh, coming from John Piper. Uh, and, and just another side note, two things that are not even mentioned in the book, which are super interesting, is God and kids. Obviously we all know kids are a big part of, of sex, but they're not the only part and they're not even the main part. And God obviously is a big part of everything, big part of the Bible. But God's not directly mentioned in the book because we don't have to have this hyper-spiritualized view of sexuality that every time we're going to get together as husband and wife that we have to have like some great time of prayer and fasting before it uh, to sanctify it. So, first point, intimacy idealized. Let's pick up in chapter 4, verse 12, and this is the man speaking. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. And almost certainly he's talking about Uh, her whole person sexually, probably her most intimate parts, but he's talking about her virginity. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choices fruits, henna with nard, nard with saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrhs and aloes, with all chief spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. Now, just two points about this. I don't know how much any of y'all are into gardening. But the first thing is, uh, back then... The rich and famous, so to speak, the kings, they would have these pleasure parks maybe where they could go out uh, and would have all different types of vegetation where everything would taste good, it would smell good, it would look good for the king to relax. And in some sense, this man is looking at his wife's body saying, your wife, I mean your body is what brings me pleasure. But also commentators will tell us that all the different spices and fruits and things that are listed there, there was nowhere in the ancient Near East where actually you could have had a garden that would have had all these things. So he's saying, "You're better than the best garden in the world. You're better than anything else that I've ever come across." Okay, sex, when done right, in marriage, it, it 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 ought to feel like a little bit of return to paradise and the Garden of Eden and innocence. Okay, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time. Verse sixteen: uh, "Awake, O north wind; come, O south wind; blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow." She starts to speak. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. He replies, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Now, just pause there and think for a second. Um, I won't do any discussion just to maybe avoid any awkwardness. But just think in your mind, what type of words would describe that union that we just read? It's not coerced. It's not begrudging. It's not bare minimum. They both seem very comfortable with their own body, with the other person's body, and excited to be there. And that's the way it ought to be. Now, some of you right now might be saying, that's not where we're at right now in our relationship. And I, I promise we're going to get there, okay? But it helps to know what the idealia, ideal is. I, imagine that somebody had walked into the Bible study at night and said, I was actually looking for a different Bible study. It's in downtown Birmingham, and uh, I'm just not familiar with this place. I'm from the country. I've never been to Birmingham. Is this downtown Birmingham? And we'd say, no, downtown Birmingham. And we'd start giving directions, and you might say, you know, there's actually some skyscrapers in downtown Birmingham, you know, 20-plus stories. And they say, well, that's obviously not where I am now, right? And, And I'm trying to describe to you where you're going so that when you see it, you'll know. And so in the same thing, in our sex life, don't be too quick to say, well, this just doesn't apply to us because this is not where we're at. It's helpful to know God's goal, even if we're not experiencing it now, so that we can know how to get there. Okay? Um, there shouldn't be in married sex, okay, which should biblically be the only kind of sex, there shouldn't be a pressure to perform. There should really just be a desire to give, to serve, to honor one another. Okay? Um, and then look at the very end of chapter 5, verse 1. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love commentators will kind of debate, who is this speaking, right? You've got the man speaking clearly, you've got the woman speaking clearly, and then there's some third party, and somebody tries to say, maybe it's part of the wedding party, like outside the tent or something, which that seems a little strange. I think the best understanding is this, that it's probably in a sense, God speaking out of the darkness and blessing, saying, this is what I made sex for. I'm for it. I invented it. I like it in the right context, and I want you to drink your fill and almost be drunk on the ecstasy that comes from sexual pleasure within marriage. So from the commentary that I mentioned earlier, okay? So I didn't say this. He did, but I think it's good. (laughs) Bouncing buttocks, phallic thrust, heaving bodies, sighs and moans and giggles are all part of God, the God-given natural order of things. There are no intrinsic higher and lower natures, which are fundamentally at odds with each other, okay? Here's David Jeremiah no loving expression of physical intimacy was out of bounds for them then as they gave themselves completely to each other blow on my garden is an invitation to spread the kisses of verse 11 to the rest of the woman's body neither of them hesitated to drink their fill of love now imagine if you had a child or maybe a niece or nephew or somebody in your life that you really liked and they just turned 16 and you gave and you had a lot of money and you love cars, and so you bought them kind of their dream car, some really nice, red, shiny sports car, whatever, and you gave it to them. You would want them to steward it well. And so if the next time you came to visit them, you realized that they had gotten drunk and driven down the interstate at 98 miles an hour and wrecked it, you'd be angry, rightly so. I gave you this great gift. You abused it, and in a sense, you ruined it. And there's plenty of people in our culture uh, doing that in some ways, and, and, and all of us have different temptations to do that. But there's another ditch of an extreme on the other side of the road. What if you came back months, years later, and the 16-year-old had never even touched the car? He was too much in awe of it. Like, I don't even want to drive it. There would also be a sense of, I didn't buy it for you just to sit in the driveway. I bought it for you so that you could use it in the proper way, and that's the way that we should think about sex as well, okay? Is that it's a good gift when stewarded the right way. It's a blessing. the Bible is a gigantic no to all forms of sexuality outside of marriage. But the Bible is a gigantic yes to all forms of sexuality inside of marriage. As long as the man and the wife are on the same page, right? Okay, it's, it's mutual consent. So um, let's keep going in chapter 5. Okay? That's the ideal intimacy. Okay? This was their honeymoon, so to speak, in the love poetry. But the next point is intimacy interrupted. And this is probably where we can identify a little bit more. We're like, yeah, it doesn't always sound like that. Some of our conversations about sex. But then let's look at this one. Chapter 5, starting verse 2. Woman speaking. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. Now, Almost certainly back then, they would have slept in different bedrooms. Certainly, if he was the king, he would have had his own bedroom. But he comes to her room late at night looking for love, all right? He's excited. She's not so much. Look at the response. I had put off my garments. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. So at first, she's kind of like, I'm already in bed. You know, I've already, whatever, taken my makeup off and I'm comfy, you know, I'm in my sweatpants, I don't want to get up again. And what does he do? Maybe there's some kind of little latch or window, and he's kind of trying to stick his hand and leave a little love sake. maybe some myrrh on the doorknob, something to kind of get her attention, say, I was here, I love you. Verse 4, My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bowl. So, Once he kind of makes his advance, she says no at first, and then her body kind of starts to think, maybe I do want to be with him. It's just a total side note, but it's a super important. It's not a side note. This this is what the text is saying, And, and history and experience and science will prove this out because there will be times in your marriage where one person is interested and the other person is not interested. But oftentimes, if the one who's not interested says, I will just try to be a faithful spouse even though I have no interest or desire right now, the body will kick in and begin to get interested. Doesn't always work that way, but that, that should give us some hope of how this thing can work. Um, verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Guys, there's so much good stuff here. Think about this. The husband made his intentions known. I really would like to be with you tonight, honey. And she said, not tonight. And he did not kick the door in and demand his rights, although as, as a king, certainly he could have done that. He said, okay, I'm going to leave something kind of sweet on the doorknob so you'll think of me, but I'll back away. And, and that is such a great picture of a biblical marriage. It's good to voice. You've got to speak about this. Here's what I would be interested in tonight. And it's fine to say, I would not be interested in that tonight. And, and therein lies the dance of loving one another, serving one another, and compromising. But then she changes her mind. She chases him out into the street. <coughs> Verse 7, the watchmen found me. As they went about in the city, they beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls. Now, what's going on here? Two things. Maybe literally this happened. She ran out into the streets, kind of scantily clad. She looked like a prostitute, and she got beaten for it. It's probably more likely that this is almost like a nightmare in her mind. My husband made an advance. I denied him. Everything's going wrong, and she's kind of panicking about how bad it is. Okay? Okay? Again, this can start to sound like more of where we live sometimes. But verse 8, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell that you tell him I am sick with love. So now she has desire for him. Okay? And again, uh, C.S. Lewis, I don't remember if it's in a grief observe where he's talking about his marriage or if it's in the four loves uh, but, he, but he talks about erotic love being married. And he said erotic love, even in the best marriages, is almost like a spirit that kind of plays jokes on us. Because when you're alone and at, your the, at the house and you've got nothing to do, maybe one person's not interested, so you don't do anything. And then later, you're at a party or a business meeting, and you both kind of looking at each other and feeling all lovey-dovey, but you're like, we're hosting this party, so we can't leave. We have to stay here. And so th- there is some times where it almost feels like uh, a joke that God has played, but not in a mean-spirited way. Okay, It's to keep us humble. It is a good gift, but there's just going to be times that you miss each other. One piece of practical advice, I want to make this as practical as I can, whoever is the one that, that, that's saying no, certainly if you're the one saying no most of the time, and most marriages have one person who would like to have sex more often, and one person that would like to have sex a little bit less, and that's just normal part of the course, that shouldn't freak you out. If you're the one that tends to say no, a little bit more of the time. One of the best things you can do is if your spouse says to you, hey, you know, what you thinking for tonight? And you're thinking, I'm, I'm not thinking about that tonight. It's so great if you can say, but how about tomorrow night? Or how about this weekend? Or so, so that it's not just a hard no never, that it doesn't feel that way, but it sounds like, I love you, I care about you, I want to meet you there, but I'm just exhausted, it's been a long day, whatever. That, that just makes the no go down a lot easier. Third point, intimacy intensified. Flip over to chapter 7. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. And as we go, you'll notice that's the only piece of clothing he's going to mention, which probably means that's all that she's wearing. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. So he's admiring her legs. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine and the best commentator would say he's probably not literally talking about her belly button there. Okay. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. They look soft, and I'd like to pet them, so to speak. Your neck is like an ivory tower. So he's just going up her body, okay, admiring her. Uh, verse five. Your head crowns like caramel and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in your tresses. Like, I'm, I'm lost. It's like I'm wondering in your beauty and I'm getting lost. How beautiful and pleasant you are. O oh, loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruits. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. And then in the middle of the verse... She starts to speak, it's almost like at this point, there's so much on the same page, she's starting to finish this sentence, finish the thought. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desires for me. Come my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether great blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. Then I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside, our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh, my beloved. They're back on the same page. Just a principle here, guys. If you will work hard in the times where you're missing each other and maybe hurting each other. And, and let me just pause and say this. All of us in a sinful, fallen, broken world with our own indwelling sin, we have some degree of baggage. Even if you grew up in the nicest most sheltered, most godly family in the universe, and you never saw anything more than a PG-13 Disney movie, none of us have the perfect view of sex. We all bring some kind of baggage into it, and it takes time, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and just working through the baggage with one another in a gracious, kind way to get to the place where you can be this way. But if you'll persevere through the hardship, by God's grace, I think you will get there. Um, now, they, they plan to go away for the weekend or something like that. And, and again, the bible I love the Bible. It's so practical, right? You have a bunch of kids. You just have hard jobs, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's good to say, let's have a time to just get away and just focus on us and our relationship and our intimacy. Okay. So let me try to give some practical application from tonight. Okay. The first thing is talk. I mean, this whole book is a husband and wife basically talking to each other about their sex life. If you want to be approved with everybody else in the world about sex, maybe or maybe not, that's a good idea. But it's not a good idea to be approved with your spouse about sex. You've got to have open and honest conversation about what you like, what you don't like, all that. Okay. Trumper Longman in Intimate Allies, he says this, the woman uh, is speaking shows an aggressive sexuality that goes hand in hand with a healthy marital relationship. The woman speaks more often, over twice as much as the man. And you say, well, that's not, that's pretty typical, right? Well, about sex. She initiates more often, okay? So that can be the norm. The second thing would be just be serve and forgive. There's going to be hard things. Take your gospel theology into the bedroom. Be kind, be gracious, forgive one another. Make plans for one another. Um, Andy Stanley says, and I, I don't agree with everything he says, but on this I think he's very wise. He said, you are your spouse's only legitimate outlet for passion. And just think about it. Because so many times, even Christians, and, I, and I'll say I'm guilty of this, even when we think about sex in a very moral, biblical way in our marriage, we still tend to think very selfishly. What do I want? What do I like? When do All that. I love this quote because he's saying we ought to be thinking more than enough. I am my spouse's only legitimate outlet for romance for passion that all that goes with that and I ought to think that way okay so Derek Kidner a great Old Testament commentator he said this when marriage is viewed chiefly as a business arrangement God's bounty is obscured and passion will seek other outlets and our culture is crazy with that and one of the best things that we can do to fight against all the insanity sexual sin in our culture is try to have a healthy sexuality inside of our marriage okay for us but also for the church now let me give some really practical questions that uh if you're having questions about you know getting into the real nitty-gritty of awkward discussions that you have to have sometimes i think here's three questions that rise out of the bible that can help you number one does it glorify god will it honor god So I'll give you an example, if somebody's like, well, what if we brought pornography into the bedroom and watched it together? No, you can't do that, don't honor God. So it's just, it's off the table, don't even talk about it. The second thing, does it serve my spouse? Would this serve my spouse? Okay, if the answer is no, then don't do it. Now, the one who maybe tends to be a little bit more aggressive and adventuresome might need to cool down a little bit. And the other person in the relationship who might tend to be a little bit too more uh, cautious And uh, conservative at times might need to take a little risk and and mix it up. But again, you got to communicate. And the third thing would be, does it cause me to sin? Going back to one of the couples I mentioned at the very beginning, he he literally told me of a time in their marriage where his wife was really sad about some other stuff. And he said, we didn't have sex except once in two months. Uh, And he was like, this is not good for me. It is making all my temptation with lust and he he was he was not blaming her right he's like this is my sin i got to fight it but this sure is not helping if it leads you to sin right bitterness because it's too much or bitterness because it's not enough it's not good either one last verse and we're going to be done take okay. chapter 8 verse 6 <clears throat> set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm for love is as strong as death jealousy is fierce as the grave, its flashes are flames of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Now, some of the verses we've read tonight might be a little strange, might be a little awkward to read and mix company. But this one is is weird, not because it's erotic or anything, but she says, love is strong as death. I mean, women, just imagine for a second. I mean, this is the woman speaking. But if your husband said, hey, baby, I wrote you a poem, and it's about I love you so much, it's kind of like the grave. It's like you probably wouldn't save that point. What's she saying? Well, saying in a sense, death seems forever. Death seems like that's the end and it's eternal. And she's saying that's what my love for you feels like. It feels eternal. It feels forever. That's how strong and passionate and real it is. Now, then she goes even further. It's flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Now, we're not going to take time to do this, uh, and I think you all know it when Paul is given maybe the greatest teaching in all time about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, he reaches back and quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which again, is not just talking about marriage, it's talking about sexuality. And he pulls it up into Ephesians and says, this is really about Christ and the church. And I, we, my guess is we've all heard something about how, yes, marriage is supposed to be this living parable of Jesus and the church, and it is, but you can go a step further and more specifically say, even your sex life is supposed to be a picture of Christ pursuing and loving his people and saving them. Now, again, let me try to make it really practical for you. I know there have been times in in marriages that I'm aware of, I'll just say it that way, where the husband might be saying, Honey, you're so busy, you're so distracted, we're not having sex enough, and it's killing me. And the wife may be saying, you're all the time asking and pressuring and you know, it's never enough. And I feel like you're killing me because it's never enough. But think about this. When the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven to pursue his people, it wasn't just gonna be a metaphorical, it's killing me. It was gonna be literally, this is gonna cost me death and hell and damnation for these people that I love. But I love them so much. I'm willing to serve them and pursue them by literally going through death, hell, and the grave. And so in the hard times in marriage where we feel like we're missing each other and maybe it feels like it's killing us, we just need to remind ourselves, this is hard, but it's not near as hard as what Christ did in pursuing me and loving me and serving me. And so even if what I'm about to have to do tonight in denying myself in whatever way, I can say, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that all these wrong motives that are kind of bubbling up in my heart right now, you've already paid for them, you've covered them, you've done the hard work. Give me grace to love my spouse, to serve my spouse, to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle, and cover me when I blow it. And I really do believe this. I know because I've experienced it. The more that you are meditating on the love of Christ for you, that loving, aggressive, pursuing, dying love, the easier it gets to serve your spouse, even in sexuality even when you feel like it's killing you so let me pray lord jesus again we're so thankful for so many of the good gifts that you give us lord we thank you for your word we thank you for the gift of marriage and we thank you for the gift of sexuality Uh, but most of all we thank you for the gospel Uh, you are such a perfect matchless savior and We don't appreciate you enough. We don't honor you enough. We don't love you enough. We don't serve you enough. uh, But praise you that you keep right on loving us, serving us, honoring us, even when we don't deserve it. Lord Jesus, I pray for myself. I pray for everybody listening to this. Lord, that you would help us have a deeper experience of your love for us so that when we are missing one another in the bedroom, We can be gracious, we can be kind, we can be self-controlled, and it won't be a begrudging, angry, bare minimum kind of love and service, but it really would be an overflowing love of service that flows from the love that you've had for us. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.